Greetings, fellow investigators, and welcome to our video podcast, Into the Darkness, where my friends and I are at play the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. I'm your host, Tom Rayleigh. Tonight, we stand at the foot of a giant, and we anticipate that climbing to the top is going to take us over three years. Of course, I am talking about a legendary campaign, Horror on the Orient Express. This will be the second time running this for me. It consists of 19 scenarios and over 900 pages. It was first published in 1991, so it is 30 years old this year. Because of that, uh, because it is somewhat ingrained into Call of Cthulhu culture, I have taken the liberty to change uh, a few of the names along the way to avoid any accidental triggers of memory on the part of the players. Uh, this game offers the players moments of profound revelation, and we wouldn't want to spoil anything. So I ask you, the listener, to be careful about what you post online in the comments. Tonight is our session zero. This is, in this episode, we will get to know the characters and some of their backgrounds. Uh, this game is replete with handouts, some of which are best given to the players before the game begins. Uh, we'll use some of them tonight so that we don't have to bring them up in the game. So now, without any further delay, we will begin our session zero of horror on the Orient Express. Gentlemen, thank you for participating in this monstrous <laughs> campaign. Um, I've sent you a lot of information over the course of the last couple of months. Um, some of it as I thought of it. Um, I wanted to sort of explain what I've done. Um, Horror on the Orient Express, like um, Masks of Nyarlathotep, um, the way it was originally written sort of drops you into the, into the middle of something already going on. So Masks realized that they really needed a scenario where you get to know um, Jackson Elias. Uh, in this case, I figured we needed something to get to know not only one another, but um, a key person, in fact, um, Professor uh, Julius Smythe. Um, so I created something called the Arcane Society in Arkham, a bunch of uh, professors. Well, let me just explain. So Arcane Society, the way I envisioned it was uh, in 1871, after the, after the Civil War, the American Civil War, a number of friends who were also professors at Miskatonic University got together and they wanted to investigate weird things going on. They wanted to investigate the fact that so many people were claiming to see Civil War ghosts and that there was most definitely this huge rise in hauntings. Um, they wanted to see if there was actually any scientific evidence for it. And so they formed themselves a little club um, of which most of the records, we, we don't even know if there were records back then. But they did some investigating and after maybe a few years of trying to, you know, of, of going out and trying to observe these things and, they realized that there's nothing, it's nonsense. It's charlatans and people taking advantage of people. 
um, you know, to get money, whatever. And so the society became kind of a skeptics society. Um, they kept an eye out for people who were up to no good, people who were trying to take advantage, and just the general hysteria that goes along with it. They anticipated that there would be another outbreak of this right after World War I, because once again, people are getting killed left and right. But they tended to be scientists, and their investigation techniques were pretty good. And then, as time went on, they began to sort of split in two. And one of the, one sort of the, the, the major group of this uh, arcane society, they're the ones who went out and took photographs of ghosts and whatever, and had slideshows and bake sales and stuff like that. But there were a few people in the club that realized that there was something going on, that they, they had classified their investigations. Most of them were nonsense. Uh, many of them were charlatans with magic lanterns and things like that, that were projecting things. And, and then there were a few that were not, uh, they were not explainable, but at the same time, they could be explained. You just couldn't figure out how they did it. And then there were a tiny handful of things that just not, they, they rang of something bizarre. And so an inner circle was formed and the inner circle protected the rest of them from what might be dangerous knowledge. They were shrewd. They were careful. You guys are all the current inner circle of the arcane society. You may not have seen something directly yourself, but you are aware of certain files that there is some very bizarre something going on here and there's no way to prove or disprove it. And it just sort of smacks of not fake. Um, all right, so that's basically where you are in the game as part of this arcane society. Now, Professor Julius Smythe, who is our main, uh, sort of our Jackson Elias for this story, our main push, he came from uh, the United Kingdom, uh, uh, I forget the year, um, Oh, wait, I know, I got a graphic. Professor Smythe uh, is a professor uh, from, uh, who graduated from Oxford. He has a D-Lit uh, uh, in philosophy and a PhD. Uh, in his career, he was professor of humanities uh, at the City and Guilds College of the University of London until 1902, when he came to the United States. Uh, he settled in Arkham, and he was professor of humanities at the Miskatonic University in Arkham, Massachusetts, uh, until 1919. Um, so the year that we're playing is 1921, is where we're starting. So two years later. Uh, what happened was, is his wife um, 
caught the Spanish flu and passed away in 1919. And Professor Julius was a very dynamic, very fun, very interesting uh, person to hang around. Um, before his wife died, he, you would never go to his house that there weren't like five students there or 10 students there that were just hanging about, talking about things. Um, you all sort of came under his wing as you... Uh, came into this area, and um, he sort of initiated you all into the Arcane Society, which he wasn't a founding member, but he was definitely the president of it by the time you got involved. And then his wife died. And it didn't break him, but he kind of lost a bit of the enthusiasm that he had. Um, he missed her a great deal. And eventually he decided that he would move back to his home in, uh, in London, actually in Cambridge. Uh, and when he did that, it, the, the presidency passed on to, uh, actually, I haven't decided if it's one of you or not. Um, we can decide that. Uh, anyways, he went back, but a man like that can't just be kept down or he can't fall completely. So within a year or so, he, he's, emirate, he's a professor emeritus at uh, Cambridge and he teaches a few classes once in a while and does mostly research in his home, um, following along the same lines as he always did, uh, the strange, unusual uh, legends, archaeology, anthropology, things like that. Uh, he does have a manservant that's been with him for years to uh, James Beddoes. And they, they live there, there now alone. So that's just, we'll put that in place. So that's, he's a character that will come up in order to prompt you. <clears throat> um, let's see, what else? Um, let's decide, should one of you be the president? Either one of you can be the president of the club at the moment, or we could have a president who is too old to go on adventures anymore. Um, I'm in favor of an NPC president. NPC president? Sounds uh, good. Well, let's save it. Could, the, go ahead. It, it could fit one of my backstories because um one of the guys who got me into lecturing at miskatonic was already into via court anyway james hopewell he's 50 at this point so he could potentially be it's a little young and a little too active so what we can say is that he's a member of the club yeah um but yeah let's i i think maybe uh doctor i mean dr edison i think john's probably right um Let's say we've got an 80-year-old uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Theodore Hewitt, who is the president, and he's president. You know, it's not that kind of a club where he has to really do much. So he's president, but he's not that active in the club. It won't be. It, it's not important to the story anyway. It's just the way I'm bringing it together. So I sent you out. I mean, you guys have created characters. 
why don't we talk about your characters a bit? Um, oh, before we do that, um, there's something that might be useful to you. I don't know if I sent it to you, but a calendar. Um, for the sake, it's really for the sake of the game, but we've orchestrated it so the game's really going to begin 1923 January. So it's easy to start at the beginning of the year to start marking off the days. Um, so they 23, give you a, not 21? Right. Well, we are into, we're going to start in 21. Oh, God. Um, we uh, horror on the Orient Express doesn't actually begin until we get to London, and at this point in time, none of your characters have any clue that they're going to end up in London. But that's like I say, I'm I'm creating a a short one that sort of pulls you all together. It'll make it'll make sense. Um, yeah, so there's that. I can send that to you if you guys want to have that on your desk, and you can mark off the days as they go. That also brings up something else that I think the way I want to do it is in game time, I think that you are going to update your characters at the end of every week. So we'll say, so it won't necessarily be sessions, okay. but it'll be, it'll be at the end of every week. So we'll say Sunday, well, when it switches from Saturday to Sunday, it goes from one week to the next week at midnight, if you have a time. At that moment, you guys can update your characters. So you're talking to the improvement checks and all right. that. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. And get 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 back some luck. Stuff like that. That sounds like that. That's a that's a good plan. Would would you like um the characters say emailed in or put in a Dropbox to you monthly or I don't think you need to do that. I think, I mean, I, I don't really need to know on a day-to-day -day basis what your character's levels are. You just, yeah, got it. characters are your characters. Um, I trust you all on your roles. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's, let's start at the, I've, I've got an Excel spreadsheet of your characters here. Um, let's start with Dr. Gabriel Neruda. You should tell us about him. I am uh, Dr. Gabriel Neruda. Uh, I am from Argentina, uh, born and raised and lived in Buenos Aires, uh, where I attended university. Um, I have a PhD in theology. Um, I've always been fascinated by the occult and esoteric philosophy. Uh, I taught a couple of classes in, in Buenos Aires, but uh, my wife and I eventually moved to the United States, where I now teach at Miskatonic University. Uh, and we've been uh, happy here for the last couple of years. Excellent. Um, uh, Dr. Dorian Dabrowski. Uh, uh, yes. I was uh, born in uh, Klodko, Poland, uh, to uh, David Dabrowski and Daria Dabrowski. Uh, I am one of three... Uh, I have a sister, Diana, and a, and a brother, Dante. We moved to uh, Manchester in England at the age of, well, I did it when I was five. And uh, I started my life going into uh, al uh, alienism uh, psychology because my father was an alienist. But uh, at the age of 20, 
me and my sister, we moved further down south in England and um, to get away from my father. We met a man, uh, James Hopewell. He studied the occult and was a professor of archaeology at Miskatonic University. So he came over to England for some relaxation that time. We met him. He took us under his wing and I became his assistant and my sister became his secretary. We moved 10 years later to where I am now, a professor of archaeology at Miskatonic University. Um, and uh, my sister is now married to James Hopewell. She is young. I disapprove, but it is what it is. And my other brother, I do not know where he is now. And you're a professor of? Archaeology. Archaeology. Um, Dr. Edison York. Uh, yes, I am Dr. Edison York. I am a physician. I was born and raised in Swindon, England, uh, and got my uh, degree uh, in London. Um, my family still lives in Swindon. We have um, a, a small ranch there. We have uh, horses. My my pride and joy is a uh, five-year-old Arabian uh, male by the name of Chestnut, where I try and go back and ride as often as I can uh, and, and, uh, and visit mother and, uh, and my younger sister when, when, when possible. Uh, but currently um, I am uh, teaching uh, in the uh, medical school at Miskatonic University. Um, I expect that this will be a fairly short term, maybe like a five-year stint uh, before I return home. It's, uh, it's nice to be in the States. Uh, I have an opportunity to visit with a, uh, a cousin uh, of mine, an American cousin, uh, Mr. Uh, Jerry Hendricks. Uh, he's a foreign correspondent, so he gets to travel the world. So it's, it's always fun to catch up with him. But uh, yeah, Dr. Edison York. Uh, Theodore Thursby. All right. Well, I'm from the Thursby's family. Uh, my oldest, oldest. Well, yeah, they're they're big names. My oldest brother. That's uh, Thurston Thursby the third. But that's that's my older brother. I'm a bit of a black sheep of the family. Uh, the rest of my siblings, all seven of them, they they stuck close to the family businesses. My father is from big old oil and or pardon me, uh, the big rail barons. Uh, and my mom was from the new oil money. Um, but for me, I wanted to see the world. So I started traveling. I got my allowance cut quite a bit, but um, I kept at it. Love big game hunting, seeing the world, exploring it. As I got more and more into it, traveling around, embedding myself in cultures quite different to what I was used to growing up. I wanted to learn more of it. So as I did, I found some fascinating, amazing stories and legends that these people had to, to give up. And I just had to study more. I came back to the States, went to Miskatonic University. 
I studied briefly under Professor Dabrowski, in fact, in his archaeology class. And I, this is also where I met Professor Julius Smythe. So quite a fascinating, fascinating individual. The, the Arcane Society, that had my name all over it. I got involved and, well, here I am. Um, Dr. Roland Kurt, Kurt, is it Kurtz? Kurtz. 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 Uh, yes, I am named uh, Roland Kurtz. I am uh, originally from Switzerland. Um, I have studied uh, in Switzerland and in Germany and in the United States. Uh, it is as a Swiss citizen that I avoided the Great War, which I consider one of the tragedies of our species uh, up to this date. Um, it is my belief that perhaps having seen this nadir, we can begin to climb using rationality to a condition that is less barbaric than we are accustomed to. Um, I was uh, drawn to Miskatonic because I have some inkling that there is, uh, I am an inorganic chemist and I suspect that there is information uh, discovered in the previous uh, barbaric age of European society that is locked away in the text of the alchemist and so on. And Miskatonic, of course, has a library renowned for these works. Uh, and similarly, the Arcane Society is of interest to me because I am seeking to be enlightened away from uh, superstition and uh, irrational human thinking uh, and to discovering the fundamental secrets that will allow us to attain our uh, rightful position uh, in this uh, strange and remarkable universe that we are only beginning to understand. Last but not least, Gunter Bloch. Yes, I am Gunter Bloch. I make my, uh, my living as a stage magician here in the United States. I'm originally from uh, Berlin, Germany, where I lived until a few years ago when I had to uh, leave rather hastily. I was uh, trained, trained by my father, and uh, he, he brought the skepticism in me because he taught me that pretty much everything that was supernatural could be proven by simple stage magicians and getting people to look where you want them to instead of where something is actually occurring. Sadly, one, uh, one day I was hanging out with my friends at a beer garden and I uh, decided to have a second beer and instead of meeting up with my father, uh, the delay caused him to wait around longer on the street and when I got, got back I found that he had been uh, mugged and uh, killed by a uh, local street, street thug. I got, we were able to collect the insurance money and I poured myself into his work of disproving uh, charlatans and other supernatural. This uh, led to my need to escape Germany as there was a, a new society rising uh, in the disaffected men of the city that were putting their faith in a certain uh, mystic that said he could prove that uh, the Aryan race was superior and that he had uh, was talking to some spirits to, to uh, demonstrate this. I was able to disprove the, that 
disprove this uh, mystic was actually speaking to spirits and he was just using an elaborate stagecraft of uh, smoke and mirrors and a little bit of uh, gas to give people some slight hallucinations. Instead of being rewarded, the society realized that uh, I had Jewish blood and and the anti-Semitism that was rising in Germany. I decided that it would probably be best to leave. With the insurance money, I was able to head to the United States and set up a uh, very successful uh, entertainment business of uh, of magic. I was drawn to the Arcane Society as they were a perfect fit, disproving uh, supernatural, and I was uh, quite quite, uh, willing to join in on this. And as I have been successful with my uh, my career, I find that I have uh, no need to work unless I uh, so desire to more for entertainment than for the money. Fantastic. All right. So those are our characters. You've also created some secondary characters, or you're in the process of carry, uh, creating them. The secondary characters in this game may or may not come into it. It's going to depend on if you guys survive and <clears throat> this game is not like masks it's not a bloodbath it's if you think carefully and you you're careful you will survive till the end of this hopefully um or at least almost to the end of it um let's see all right so part of this is obviously going to have to do with the Orient Express. Um, your characters don't know about that. This is a couple of years beforehand. You're not going to, you're not making plans or anything like that with the train. But the manual gives me a very nice map, uh, uh, layout of the train. <clears throat> and rather than bring it up when we finally get there and take the time to go through it, then we can go through it now. I also found some beautiful models of the Orient Express. So I've sort of put them together uh, so that we can take a look at them. Uh, I will show you. This is, this you'll find this kind of is in general for a lot of passenger trains uh, then and even now. Let's see, where is it? Okay. So there's always a locomotive, obviously, that drives the train. Um, that it consists of a uh, the engine and the uh, uh, a firebox, which is uh, where they store the coal for the train. And there's a water tank and water. <clears throat> and then there are a number of foregons. And what the foregons are is that's where the packages are, the baggages, uh, anything that they're transporting, um, uh, mail, and anything like that. And in the case of this, there are, I believe, three of them. Uh, you'll notice the first one is mail and packages. The second one is long-term passengers, passengers that are going all the way from Paris or from London all the way to uh, uh, Constantinople. And I'll, I'll clarify that, that there is no tunnel yet. So what you really do is you would take a a train from London to Dover, uh, which is, uh, it's, it's not technically the Orient Express, but it's a train that they've commissioned to get you from London to Dover. 
and then you have to take the ferry across and then you land in Calais and you, you go from Calais to Paris. And that's where it really starts. There's something called a Calais car. They put you, if, if you're on that, they put you in the Calais car and then they would simply attach the Calais car to the Orient Express and it would continue from there. So there's a number of foregones. Uh, they're short-term passengers too. And for the most part of this game, you're going to be short-term passengers because you're going to be getting on and getting off. Um, and then there is uh, the dining car, uh, the Etoile de Nord, the North Star. Uh, it is a, if you can say five-star, it's a five-star uh, restaurant. <clears throat> it has what you think, a kitchen, and then it's got uh, uh, a, a dining seats. Uh, then you have some sleeper cars, and their sleeper cars all have names so that you know which one that you're in. They're actually written on the outside of the, the sleeper car. So there's Amelie, and there's Bridget, and then you have the lounge, which is the, is it pronounced Cote à uh, the blue side. Um, it is literally a lounge with a, I don't know if there's a picture of it there. In the story, there's a piano. So there is a piano in there somewhere. Uh, and then you have more sleeper cars, Claudette and Dominique. And that's about it for the, the train. Uh, it can be made longer or shorter depending on how much they, they need. Uh, but for the most part, that's, that's all you'd have to worry about. Um, we had a question earlier about a caboose. Uh, and I don't think that there's a caboose. I think that's on a working train. You have a caboose for the, the workers, but in this case, there's no caboose. Uh, we're not going to worry about it. Um, the train, this map came, this is actually a historical uh, map, and it, it goes beyond what the scope of our game is because it goes all the way up until more or less modern times. But uh, the red line is the one that you're going to be taking. That is uh, 1923. Uh, there is also the uh, the brown. Where is the brown line? It's hard hard to see. It's in here, but that's what it was in 1890. So it's a different route. Uh, they blasted a tunnel uh, uh, right here uh, from Lausanne to Milan called the Templon uh, the the Simplon Tunnel. And before that, they had to go up and around the Alps up here and come down this way. So that's why uh, the name Simplon was added to the Orient. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I'm pretty sure it's a really long tunnel. So it's like 12 miles long or something like that. I could be wrong on the distance, but it's a long, it's one of the longest tunnels there was. Um, I, they, they actually, the game gives you a correct schedule, but the problem is, is that, I believe there was only one Orient Express. There might have been two. But the thing is, is that they went and then they came back and they went and they came back. So rather than have you wait a week for the train to come back, if you get off, I made it so that every eight hours a train goes by in both directions. So that's your schedule. And I also expanded the times because it only took, I, I don't think it took quite 
three and a half days maybe to make the trip, you know, if you were on, if you were going all the way. So I wanted there to be a little more time in between stops so that you'll have time to, oh, read journals that you find or books that you find or things like that. You know, you have time on the train. Um, but this will come important. This is, this is something you might want to have handy because I'll hold you to it. If, if I joked earlier, if, if you're being chased and you get to the train station and there ain't no train, <laughs> you can see exactly when it's going to be there. Um, I'm also, there's, a, there's an aspect of the game that I, I, I kind of, I, I didn't, it doesn't really come up much, but I think that we're, we don't want to get too deep into the details. So um, when you book passage, okay, uh, your luggage will be collected from your hotel, put onto the train. And when you say that, you know, you're going to get off in Paris and you're going to stay at this hotel, your luggage will be put at the hotel and you don't have to. You as players don't have to worry about these people are efficient. Everything will be perfect. I'm not going to suddenly say, oh, where's your luggage? You know, it's not going to happen. That's not a part of the story. Um, so we'll just assume that that sort of stuff gets covered. In. They're, they're extremely professional. But you can pick where you want to stay. Um, part of the thing that I sent you a while back is the... Uh, is Le Guide de Voyageur, uh, the, uh, the guide that they give you. That is um, a slightly, only slightly modified reprint of the original that you would have gotten when you got on the train. And it tells you, well, here, let's see, I'll pull part of it up. Uh, uh, this is what it sort of looked like. Um, it gives you the menu of what food they're going to be serving. Um, uh, it gives you some advice. Uh, the advice is interesting because it does come into the story. Uh, passengers are reminded that in each country, police will check the passengers' passports and visas on boarding and departing uh, the train. There is also a customs check at each frontier. The chef de brigade is always present during these checks the conductor of each car will take possession of your visas and passports so that you are not disturbed by immigration arrangements. Your documents are securely held by the chef de Pagrade. Uh, the French franc is the standard currency aboard the Orient Express. The currency of the nation within which the train is, pre is present is also accepted. And then there's a list of newspapers that are always available on the train if you guys Want to read newspapers along the way. Um, the point is, is that sometimes you cross the border in the middle of the night. And if the chef de brigade has your documents, he doesn't have to wake you up and say, we need your papers. So that's another thing that you can, you can pretty much guarantee that I'm not going to suddenly say, oh, the chef de brigade lost all of your papers. They're far more uh, professional than that. Um, the staff on a train. Um, you have the chef de brigade. He's in charge of uh, the dinner staff and the sleeping car uh, conductors. There's the chef de cuisine. He's the uh, the magician in charge of the kitchen. 
and uh, and he's one of the great chefs of Europe. Uh, the chef de train, uh, he is the commander in chief in charge of overall the train of sleeping cars. Uh, you apply to him if you need assistance with anything, any kind of an emergency. Um, you can read the rest of these, a conductor, uh, the head waiter, the maitre d'hôtel, uh, and various other things. And then throughout the book, uh, each location will have something, for instance, Paris. It'll give you a description of the place. It'll give you a little map, uh, some pictures maybe. It'll give you advice. Uh, it'll show you uh, places of interest and hotels. Uh, and so forth that are available in the area. And you should use that because that'll, that'll give you stuff to, to build the, the story. The, the, the story very much is being on the train uh, for a short period and then getting off somewhere and then it's kind of a sandbox. So, you know, you'll want to be able to explore. Besides, this is the, the it will be a trip of a lifetime, even if you are, Running for your lives. <laughs> <laughs> um, any questions? It's a lot to throw at you all at once, but I thought that it would be better than doing it during the game. You know? mm -hmm. Yep. Um, Aperture, we mentioned one thing Theodore and Dorian know each other. So how maybe some of the rest of you, I mean, you all know each other. You guys have been in the club for a few years at least. Yeah. Can we, uh, I'm, I, I'm a mere strapling of 36 years of age. I assume I'm one of the younger of a group. Uh, I am 35. Mm -hmm. So we are in cohort. 31. Oh, oh young. We are all pretending to not be old. <laughs> 30, 36 here as well. <laughs> Baby of the family. I'm 34, so. I am 40, so I am the, oh. uh, <laughs> the, the uh, grand old man. I'm finally the child. <laughs> and, uh, when it comes up, Professor Smythe is in his 60s. Ah, yeah. Uh, so uh, that's interesting. We are all um, young men in our, our prime of life. Uh, ready for adventure on the high trains. Um, so I assume that uh, I have only been at Miskatonic for four or five years. So I was probably a late but eager ascendant to the inner circle of the arcane society. But I guess that is true. I mean, well, we're all young-ish mm -hmm. for that. Think that um, looking at uh, Dr. Uh, Nerudu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, didn't think 40 was so old, but uh, <laughs> all you, all you youngins. Old man, the Luda is so funny. <laughs> he walks slowly. I, I have asked some of you, pri I've asked all of you actually some private questions, which we won't discuss. You can, if you haven't answered them, then answer them. <laughs> they'll uh, they'll come into the story eventually. Um, Does the uh, description of the uh, inner circle's most unusual or mysterious cases? Does it, do we call it the black dossier? Do we have a do we jointly look at it? Is how much is it shared information? 
in the inner circle, which is just us, I guess. And I think your your inner circle, you've probably all studied what it is. Um, It's it it really is a device to bring you together. So it's not part of the story. But I imagine being in Arkham, there's going to be a few oddities, you know, perhaps even some of the stories that we've played in the past, you can sort of think, now we've got this information on that. Maybe you've got information, you probably have information on the people of Innsmouth and what is suspected you know, of what's going on there. Because we know that Innsmouth, that the, that the universe, well, I say that the Arcane Society directly gets involved around 1928 or 29 uh, in getting the government to go to Innsmouth and take care of the problem. Uh, so with our involvement with the Arcane Society, we have not yet... We've seen some strange stuff, but we haven't quite crossed from a cultish into Cthulhu mythosy experience, right? Right. Well, or at least right on that minor fringe. Right? Do any of you? Did any of you have Cthulhu mythos? I don't think so. No. I didn't know it was an option. I mean, my character yeah. studies theology and the occult, and has been at two universities that have a copy of the Necronomicon. I may have glanced through it once, but. I, I think that would be the most that any of you done, because for you, like a theology student, the Necronomicon is just one of a thousand tomes that you've perused through. And why yeah. would you believe that any yeah. more than you would believe any of these other? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure I've, I've glanced through it or read through it once, but don't really. It wasn't a yeah. deep study of anything, so I don't remember it too well. So, yeah, I picked zero Cthulhu mythos, but I would know of the text. I, I picked. I picture Gunther as uh, he actively disbelieves in supernatural. And if he can't explain it, it's like, well, it must be a stage trick. I just haven't figured out how they did it, you know, and almost rationalizing it. If it's something that's like, oh, okay, well, was that a ghost? Well, it, it must've been something. Cause I, there can't be ghosts. So that's not real. Right. That's, that's probably one of your greatest assets is the fact mm-hmm. that, like I, I mentioned, like magic, uh, people were freaked out by magic lanterns because they didn't figure you could project pictures onto smoke and make it look like the ghost is floating yeah. in the room. <laughs> freak people. Nowadays, it's like, you know, yeah. that's, just, <laughs> that's just nonsense. But um, yeah, so you'd be you'd be the real skeptic in figuring out mm-hmm. how something is taking place. You would want, you want concrete evidence right there's probably also in that black dossier maybe some things about the ghouls only in that this persistent story keeps coming up about people living under arkham and under boston and places like that those sort of stories are very persistent so anything in our stories that's Catchy. I know, thought you that can, you can bring them up. I won't. I won't have any problem with you saying well, there was some, that thing with the dolls. That was pretty freaking weird. <laughs> you know, or... I thought that uh, I might have seen some documentation of the uh, rocks from the color out of space. As an inorganic chemist, they bring yeah. you know we send up a team to this backward valley 
like bring back these rocks to the university that just get lighter and lighter and go away. Like that's not, that's we have not, no equations for any of that. Right. And we can only take pictures and measure them and write it down. And then it's like, well, okay, this obviates a lot of what's in textbooks, but we have no other proof for it. We can't repeat it. But it leads me to think, ah, oh, there is something we are missing. Yeah. That's definitely some of those. You, you, you think there must be a scientific explanation, but nothing you can think of can explain it. Um, and maybe someday you will explain it, and then it won't be. You, know, you can take that out of the dossier and put it in the regular filing cabinet. I think also it's likely that <clears throat> you keep track of the charlatans. You don't necessarily expose them um, because most of your club is making money off of uh, the slideshows and the you know, to keep you guys going. Um, but you do know who they are. If somebody claims to, you know, speak to the dead, and it's like, no, you don't. <laughs> we have a dossier on you. You don't. We know that what you're doing. You know, it's a parlor trick. Uh, let's see. I am. I'm very excited for this to start. Um, so the majority of uh, us, I believe, were affluent, right? So we wouldn't necessarily be a desperate organization for money. Oh, correct. Got right. It. But then you don't necessarily want to throw your own money into these projects. You've got oh yeah club money, you know. Um, yeah, well, that's that's part of it. You wanted to be people who could get up and go to England for a month without it affecting your uh, your pocketbook too much. Are any of you married? I uh, I am. You are okay. Yep, I am not. Am I? <laughs> <laughs> am I married? <laughs> it's up to you. Um, uh, I am not. My backup character is married, and his wife is sickly, so he's yeah. burdened. But I am yeah, not I'm, at all. My backup character is. Married, oh, I. Uh, so. Oh, I should have read my entry. I am married. <laughs> Very memorable wife. <laughs> I assume her name is Deidre, and you've got three daughters named Daphne, uh, Dorian, and Des Moines. Mm -hmm. oh, of, of course, got to keep with the uh, family These. naming tradition. Um, the marriage situation, you guys will have to deal with that the way you want to deal with that. But um, there, ultimately, there's not going to be any tag-alongs, so... Um, I, I don't worry about that. It's not a big deal. You're just making a quick trip over to England and then coming right back. So right. bad dad leaving your kids <laughs> for, for a month. <laughs> well, I don't know. Fair, I always thought that leaving children for a month in the 1920s was not. Yeah, I mean you couldn't you I, couldn't go across state lines without being gone for a month and children. I that the concept of separate vacations sometimes works fine for. You're married to the same person for 20 years. You might as well occasionally have some fun separately. Um, not, not that kind of fun, just regular. <laughs> you, don't always, you don't always share the same interests. Right. 
Right. Um, towels. So, if you guys don't have any, do I have anything else? I always keep thinking there's so much to this. I keep thinking of something I'm forgetting. Did you want to go over how we met Dr. Smythe? Sure. Um, Dr. Smythe, I have a thing about him. Hold on to say, let me see if I can find it. Um, Second page. Oh, yeah, that's the picture. I've got another. <coughs> right. Um, and the other stuff between us, too, since we're all acquainted. Um, I've only been at Miskatonic for four years. Is that the average or? I've been there at least 12 years. Well, no, I've been there 12 years. Okay. So if you've been there 12 years, I mean, anybody who's been there longer than two years uh, knew Professor Smythe's wife. And she was also a lovely person, uh, say Martha, uh, Martha Smythe. Uh, but she caught, you know, Spanish flu. She got it right at the end of the Spanish flu epidemic and she didn't make it. A lot of people were lost during that. Um, I think 50,000. 50, no, 50 million worldwide. I was going to say. Oh, yeah. Like, the, the United States lost over 600,000 dead, too. Yeah. It started in Kansas, I believe. Yep. And it did. Yeah. yeah. So that horrible tragedy happened. Um, and the fact that he has, I'm saying that he's gotten over it, that's not really that unusual. I mean, it's been a couple of years since he's, and he mourned her. He was very devastated. Mm-hmm. But you eventually, yeah, life goes on. Keep yourself busy. He's only he's only in his early sixties, so he's not like a an invalid or an old old man. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I see. Smythe was a very dynamic person. People loved to be around him. People liked to listen to him. He was very intelligent. Very uh, had thousands of anecdotes um probably private privately told you some weird stories of stuff that he did back in england before he came to the united states that he sort of had his own little society over there as well that he worked with um most of you probably just moved into this area, became interested, and uh, he probably targeted you. He probably saw that you were intelligent and uh, experienced and not so given into this nonsense of ghost hunting and, and chicanery and just said, you know, would you like to meet a group? You know, we're scientists and doctors and intelligent people. And then you got involved. Okay. And then he th- he realized that you really were, you know, not just ghost hunters. And you you know, he's like, obviously that slide from the slideshow is nonsense. And that's that's somebody threw a hubcap in the air. It's not a UFO. <laughs> you know, of course, I don't know if they had UFOs back then. UFO pictures. So Smythe taught. All the way through 1919, though at Miskatonic. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that would make sense when uh, when uh, Theodore came back to the states to to go back to school to learn 
more, uh, you know, focusing on archaeology and anthropology and such. He also um, uh, was looking to work with the uh, physiology and zoology departments at Miskatonic for big game hunting. At the time, there was a lot of need for gathering specimens and such. So through that and me going to school there, that's that could be an easy segue for uh, Theodore to meet to meet Smythe and also study under uh, Dabrowski. Yeah. Very good. Very good. There you go. Do you, Theodore, have a collection of uh, trophies that you've bagged along the way? Oh, yes. They'll, they'll come out. They have not been maneuvered to within arm's reach yet. <laughs> <laughs> like I envision you going into your living room and there's... <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, there, there's some. Some Is that a polar bear? <laughs> some, some are for the university and some are for, uh, you know, my, my uh, East Coast estate. Jackalopes, know. jackalopes everywhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're hard to find, but. <laughs> I was picturing Stu pivoting his camera and there being his triceratops head mounted over the fireplace. Because <laughs> he just happened to have one. I, I I happen to have the the head of David just here, right? Uh, mm. yeah. But I did not hunt the uh, hunt that. Yeah, hunt David down. <laughs> the the most most difficult animal to hunt is the yeah, human. Um, when I was when I was actually in Utah years ago on a vacation. Uh, I got to meet the uh, one of the artists that designed the Jurassic Park uh, dinosaurs, mm-hmm. and we were at his studio. And there was a moment when he says, "Now come over here," and he kind of he wouldn't let me turn around. He says, "Come over here and stand," and I'm like, "Okay." And he goes, "Now look over your shoulder," and I look back like this, and he had that T Rex head on the wall behind oh. me, and I almost jumped. I mean, it was it was startling. Because it was huge and it, you know, it looked real. Hi. Yeah. So if Theodore had, could have one, he would have one. Um, Gunter, how's uh, describe your show? What kind of magic do you? Uh, oh, I do. Uh, I I do a lot of uh, a, escape tricks. So you know, I have uh, handcuffs that are uh, actually have a subtle release in it. That only I know how to twist it just right so it releases. So I'll often invite someone on stage, put the handcuffs on in so they can see, oh, yeah, these are real handcuffs. And then I have them putting on me and I'm able to to get out. Of course, I do the uh, the floating lady and I have the circle that goes around in where you simply has a little subtle gap in there so the wires will pass through the gap in the circle and all and of course since you're all in the inner circle i'm trusting you with my uh magic secrets here uh we not for the uh the consumers out there the lay persons but a lot of uh a lot of tricks i try and avoid a lot of the smoke and mirrors more fancy because uh since i I'm becoming well known for disproving that 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 happens with it. I find that and most people have enjoyed a lot more of the simpler practical tricks that I, of course, being able to palm palm objects and all that. That's being up and close that it's been very successful that way. 
do you, do you do any of the escape artist stuff like uh, Houdini? Are you double jointed or? Uh, no, I don't. No, I wish I was as good as Houdini and was able to to get get out. Uh, my uh, magic is more, especially with the deck that low decks of mine. I say my magic is more of uh, being prepared for it and having the items that are able to be manipulated rather than just being able to pop my arm out of <laughs> Dr. Edison, you, uh, you're currently teaching. Uh, so you're not like medical, you're not like a doctor available to do surgery or medical stuff usually. Well, the, uh, the school of medicine at, at Mr. Katonic university is a working hospital. Uh, so you teach and you heal. And I envisioned that my, stay at uh at miskatonic is part of a joint uh venture with you know like a like a student exchange with the uh uh, i don't know the university in london we'll just say london university um uh wherever it is that he that he was studying in in england and uh, and so this is part of of that um of that exchange. Right. So he's in his, he's in his final years, you know, he's, he's, you know, uh, he's been studying to the point where he's a full fledged doctor already. Um, and so he's teaching students to be, you know, the next generation of doctor. Um, and I'm a general practitioner. So I, I, I have general, uh, medicine knowledge and, uh, and yeah, so I, I'm here kind of, doing that I'm, I'm doing that stint here in in uh in arkham cool uh, let's see um dr uh dr curse um you're a, a bio biochemist i mean a um inorganic inorganic chemist, chemist. yeah so, so what it's is, what's that what you do uh it's about uh molecular bonds uh, and manipulating these, it is, um, uh, you know, uh, it, 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 the borderline in a sense between physics and chemistry. I am concerned with mixing this and that to make the third thing, but all of the biolo- most of the biological things are uh, organic chemistry. Inorganic chemistry is more dealing with metals and their behaviors and combinations. Yeah, organic would be uh, anything carbon, you know, based. Yeah, I mean, there of course it, shade, it shades in, but yeah, that that is a, organic is a, is its own specialty because it becomes so much more complex with organic processes. And are you teaching, or are you uh, you work in a lab? Yeah, no, I have I'm, I teach. I teach at the university. So you are also a professor. Yeah, doctor. Yeah. No. three professors four doctors total i mean most at, at at this time most professors are also doctors yeah that's true so you're all highly intelligent excellent um very educated group of odd people that makes the best the best the investigators in this game let's see anything else for anybody um did anybody fight in the great war or serve in another way 
my my country of origin that did not participate in the Great War. I would imagine being from Germany that yes, I did serve in the uh, Great War. Uh, yes, uh, uh, Dr. York was uh, in the war serving as a medic. Uh, and actually there was a, uh, I suffered, I, I survived an incident that uh, haunts me to this day. Um, I have a uh, hydrophobia. I have a fear of of large open bodies of water because during the war, a, a boat that uh, I was aboard along with my platoon, it was the boat was shelled and destroyed, and a quarter of the men died due to drowning by the weight of their gear pulling them under. Um, and it was a it was a horrific incident um, that I. Uh, just barely survived i think because of that because you were a medic in the war i think that anything that is gruesome uh body like you know medical i think you should have a bonus uh, on your sanity goal because you're not uh Due to the war experience package, when I created my character, it does say I'm immune to sand loss from view, from viewing corpses or gross injuries. Okay, excellent, excellent. If that wasn't in there, I'd still I'd think that should be in there because <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hmm. Right, but I knew I knew also for the war experience, you took a sand hit. Did it involve a particular aversion? We're off yeah. how that works. The hydrophobia. All oh, right. Yeah. The hydrophobia. So it's the fear of uh, large bodies of water due to the uh, the shelling incident and the near drowning. Mm -hmm. That's a nice thing about being on a train for a long time. Yeah. They are almost always above water. Yeah. Almost always. If they're we below, there's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. You got to get to England. Yeah. Yeah, when, yeah. I, when I was in the war, uh, that was my job was to shell, shell the English ships as they were coming over. <laughs> so you've met. You <laughs> <laughs> play cards every Tuesday. <laughs> Whist. Um, well, we'll have to say that that is something. It, it's not an insurmountable object. It just makes you incredibly uncomfortable. Um, because, yeah, you're going to have to get on a boat to get over there. I, I self-medicate when I take a boat. Oh, there you go. There you go. Actually, that could also, bring up something, too. Do any of you have any nasty habits? Probably not. This is not cult. You guys are in, you guys are in control of yourselves. At this yeah. point, I'm pretty innocent. I, yeah. I enjoy uh, a beer, and I've been disappointed about Prohibition starting in the... Uh, in the United States, I think it's a, an excessive reaction, but there are always ways around it. Exactly. Smoke pipe tobacco. It's not a vice. It's the twenties. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you say dirty, but uh, you know, doctor prescribed it. <laughs> it's good. It's good for your lungs. It's great for your lungs. Clears the lungs out. Yeah. The old Tessus cleans right up. Well, Here, swallow decide. these leeches. That'll serve. Every, that'll fix everything. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, you don't have to read through your little booklet, but keep it handy so that you know when you get to someplace new, you can say, "Oh, what do they have in this place?" Yeah. And, uh, um, 
it, it, it doesn't sound like that should be a thing in this, but it is, and it'll make sense when the time comes. All right. Any other questions? Uh, should we roll for luck? Sure. That's a sort of joint uh -oh. exercise. And, oh. and if have, you get what's, anything, what's rule? yeah, if you get anything below 40, oh. go ahead and. I, I had already previously rolled my luck. I have a luck of 60. That's uh, what I, I just got. I have the same. I had previously rolled. I have luck of 60 also. I also have have sixty. This is oh, a little sixty seems spooky. to be the most common number. Well, but, you know. but but Stuart has a shit eating grin on his face. So nah, it's not bad. It's fifty. Just okay. very. I thought you were going to say ninety. Or yeah, something. No, no, <laughs> yeah. He's like, <laughs> I also go fifty. So okay, yeah, fifty and sixty. I always, you know, when I make my characters for anything, I usually just put fifty. I figure fifty, fifty. Yeah. Luck. Oh, oh, darn it. Yeah, I, I rolled already for luck on the character. Darn it. <laughs> and it was. I, I rolled a 70 before, so I just I just killed 20 points. <laughs> There's just something for fun. Look around your character sheet. Is there anything on there that you are particularly good at that really doesn't have any impact on anything like drawing or? Horseback uh, riding. I, I play a bit of the mm. piano. Ooh. There you go. I, I play the cello. I Neat. have. I am very good at state building stagecraft and uh, electricity. Okay, so you've got some of that. That's good. Mm -hmm. I, I I do ride. You know, I have chestnut uh, that I ride, but I'm also um, uh, I can go out hiking, and and I'm a I'm a survivalist in the woods. I have woodland survival. So you have natural world as well? I do. Ooh, survival. That's a good one. I have a, I have a bit of, I have quite a bit of natural world because that's what physics is or right. chemistry in Switzerland and when I was young. Um, I have natural world and uh, something st st stuck out. Uh, I, I, I'm kind of a generalist. I'm, I, have, I have some history history um and i'm for a sort of quiet academic type i'm i'm pretty persuasive mm. yeah I, I also have a i have some charm my oh, charm is pretty decent course. i have a uh, quite a bit of anthropology history a bit of natural world a lot of occult based on my uh, my profession and some astronomy as well That's cool. nice i support uh quite a bit of points in fast talk i find that that's an uncommon skill in a lot of games so it's a, a, it's a good thing for a magician because you can yeah kind of manipulate people into that was yeah. my thinking yeah. yep that fellow who does the street stuff like it's oh. obviously all just like quick distraction and because mm -hmm. they don't look good on tv but it seems to work on people yeah. Did you ever see there was there was one magician who it, it was really psychological stuff that he did, but he in a mall, he was he got a hold of the, the PA system and every few minutes he would say something. And he was he said that what he was doing was setting up psychological triggers and then 
at one point he says, uh, you know, there's a sale going on at such and such, raise your hands. Everybody in the mall froze where they were and they went like this. Mm-hmm. And then they all looked around at one another like, what the hell are we doing? It was really weird. Is, was it an Englishman? I don't know. I don't think so. There's this, there's this English fellow who, his, his thing is that he's a, a modern mentalist who uses like neuroscience to, to fool the mind. Uh-huh. I think he's been debunked, debunked. a lot. Because yeah. he, because he like, because apparently he's prone to using stooges and things. Because uh, a lot, of them. well, it, that kind of magic has been around too. They're yeah, just yeah. fooling the TV audience. David Copperfield. Um, I had so much respect for him until I figured that out. <laughs> um, there used to be a magician years ago who. His gimmick was to get up there and to say, now we are not going to cut at any moment for the camera. These are not camera tricks. We are going to do actual stage magician stuff, you know? And so I believed him. I thought that was, but obviously he knew back then that people do the whole, I dream of genie snapping and disappearing and all those Hmm. tricks. Okay. Anything else? You know, guys, you guys can write each other and chit chat back and forth over the week before we start. Um, this this game is for you guys to enjoy role playing. Become your characters can go from being one thing to another as this three years goes by, and they'll become wiser and shrewder, and you know, change their mind about some things and. Go bonkers. Hopefully, not go too bonkers. Um, it's yeah. I think you're the reward in this is using your own your own heads to figure things out and be very careful about what you. I say be care be very careful. You don't have to be that careful. You just have to be careful <laughs> enough. I mean, you could say, yeah, we ain't gonna go. We're just gonna yeah, stay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'm taking my substantial funds and moving to the country. I built a small bunker. I did find the piano on the saloon car. It's labeled as harpsichord. Uh, uh, but oh, I nice did find. not. I did not find the 50 caliber machine gun port where yeah. we're gonna spin around and. It's on the roof. It's on the okay. There's little bubbles on the roof where you can turn it. We'll be stitching the countryside. Take that. There's gonna be but, one on top, one on bottom, and the person in one of them will tell the other one that they're oh, a natural at some point. Who knows? Shooting from underneath the train. <laughs> oh yeah. You never know. <laughs> the tentacles could come up from the bottom. You never know. <laughs> All right, guys. This was this was this could start. We start next week. Oh, waited so long for this. I have my notebook. Right. Yes. Excellent. 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 You'll you'll need it. You'll need to figure out a way to or organize so that you've got names and events and things over here. And there's a lot of did did we did somebody have history? And somebody's got some, some history. I have I have I do I have 60 history. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I, I, I have the generous five percent that's given to us. Oh, I, have, yeah. I have I have I have 40 history. Nice. Okay, 38. Well, we so between the three of us. 
I missed that. Um, because a lot oh, of no, it's there. It's, this this game is very much enwrapped in things that were going on in the time, and I think that you could you could feel free to to look up news of stuff that's going on at the time. Just keep that because notice there's three newspapers that'll be available. Yeah, anywhere you go, there's going to be well, news six or something. So, really, there's like three just in German. Three in English. I'm at I'm at in on the train itself. I think they gave you three that were. No, there's. Yeah, I think there's six. No, there's a bunch. Yeah. Oh, were there? Oh, I didn't yeah. see. Yeah. yeah. I know the London. There's Times, uh, there. Times, the Standard, and the Mail, just in English. Then there's three French ones, but the Tribune is available as an English language edition. And then there is a German, uh, one German paper developed. Ah, cool. Excellent. Question for this here. Just, just hit mm-hmm. me. I, I think I read somewhere. I don't know how this is played, but uh, if you have 30 in a language that's conversational, I, I believe I've got uh, 21 in French. Would that be like, I wouldn't need to be, I, I could kind of, stumble along in a basic conversation you could get through yeah basic okay. conversation you can order um, a off find a bathroom ask for directions that aren't complicated where's, where's the train station one of the yeah. really interesting things is uh one of the qualifications for getting hired on the orient express at the time was you had to speak five languages at least wow so everybody on board the train speaks german english french Dutch and whatever, you know, along the way. Um, and their their personnel probably switch off every once in a while. So the closer you get to like Constantinople, the more Greek speakers you're going to get and, yeah. and Turkish speakers and so forth. Um, so, so Stu, yeah. at, at 10%, simple ideas can be communicated. At 30, transactional requests can be understood. So you're kind okay. of like what what lo- that brings up another thing what languages do you all speak uh, german and english. german and english. english english and latin english polish and german ah english french italian that's it we're going to be counting your french a lot teddy yeah <laughs> i've got basically german and english as well i've got like a just a smidge of italian and french because i'm swiss but yeah i have Spanish, English, and Latin. And then I don't know how you're going to be handling the uh, crew, Tom, but um, uh, if it's anything like modern day uh, American passenger trains, crew will change out uh, at almost every major stop. So Maybe some of the some of the head honcho crew members, you know, like the the chef de train, probably won't change out. Those won't change out, no. You know, but you know, some of the uh, the porters and things like that. You know, some of your common waiter wait right. staff, the and waiters all that, and stuff like that will probably yeah, change they out they probably will stay within a certain uh, set of boundaries, and so they'll they'll be on the train right. this direction get off and then wait for the other one that's coming the other direction, get on that one, work it back to the other way and just and keep going back and forth like that. Something that we won't, won't worry about too much either is because in the game, 
you're like I see you're going to be going to this location, getting off, having an adventure, getting back on, going to this location, getting off. So the, the people on the train, we're not going to worry about new names every time. We'll just oh, it happens to be the same guy. We just happened to get exactly the same room as we had before. All right, cool. You know, creepy. <laughs> Because otherwise you get all lost in the uh, in the, the details. details. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing that the, the thing suggests if you're playing this around a big table, which you know if you were doing that, is you I've got a, a thing to make out passports for everybody, and oh. you can tell the players that if they don't bring their passports to the game, <laughs> then you're going there's going to be problems because they're going to get detained at the border and oh and you could you could actually stamp uh, or you know yeah. write on the the passport i actually i actually made some beautiful passports for all my players when i did a live game and i made stickers of all the uh, oh, cool. the things to stick in their books as they went along you know but wasn't there a company that did that for, or was that for masks? There was a company, they were at the Necronomicon 2019 and they had like a, a, a pack of props and stuff for, it was either. HP Lovecraft Historical Society. Yeah. yeah didn't, was it the mask, mask is an Aralathotep they did, or was it horror? It masks. They have a masks prop. Oh, okay. That was it. Uh, yeah. It looked really cool. Just like, just glancing at it we are not there, sponsored by them by the way right. oh yeah yes yeah throwing are, that throwing that out there yeah <laughs> there are some beautiful i think in fact it was their stuff because i i found a i didn't find a i purchased a uh, a big file of all sorts of props and at the time i was working i mean i didn't you don't purchase the props you purchase the files but at the time i was working at the the print place i was actually at the print place so i could print out the passport which is really one big gigantic piece of paper that's folded with the the different pages and put it together with an actual leatherette cover and they were lovely you know um and they were authentic because they're they look you know they're copies of actual passports uh, but i had i had english ones and i had american ones and i had german ones Nice. The German ones are actually even prettier because they have the the, e the double-headed eagle and the stuff in the background and um, very pretty. No, nothing like early 20th century Germany for strong design choices. Mm -hmm. um, so are, we, are there no Americans here? Uh, I'm, was, a, I'm a Mac. Yeah. Teddy uh, is the only one? Mm -hmm. That's okay. But it doesn't matter. You're all Americans in your heart. Yeah, I was, I was naturalized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking about the fact that we expect to be in Europe a lot. Yeah. And, a, and also no one chose to be French. So we've got an Englishman, a Pole. Uh, sorry, uh, Neruda, are you Spanish or Portuguese? I'm Spanish. I'm from Argentina. Oh, right. South, okay, not European, but Spanish-speaking. So... It's very unlikely that any of you have ever been on the Orient Express before. It's just too expensive. You've been on other trains. Mm -hmm. And some trains are very nice, but Orient Express is... And my, my allowance was way cut. I'm, I'm only credit rating 65. Oh, so. only. There you go. Oh, no. 
65. Oh, yeah. Well, my parents, my parents, they're like at 90 and my siblings are getting allowances, keeping them at 80 to 85. And I got cut big time. So, yes, that that's mine. I'm an 80 credit rating. I'm not sure why I even associate with you, but, you know. Well, I don't want to surprise you, but the fact is you probably won't get to the train until three or four episodes in. So there's lots of stuff to do before that. All right, folks, go ahead and do the closer. Uh, Our players will include or do include uh, next week. Uh, Morgan Llewellyn, David Gassaway, Stuart Lively, Keith Craig, Josh Harwood, and John Hook. Yours truly as the keeper of the secrets. We have a Discord server where you can chat with our other members. You can set up private games and you can learn the finer arts of gameplay and game mastering. We provide audio-only versions of our shows free for you to download from Podbean or iTunes. If you'd like to help support our show, please visit our Patreon account. Just a dollar to a month helps us a lot. Like, share, and subscribe to our channel and punch the bell icon for updates on our latest shows and leave us some comments. We enjoy reading them and answering questions you might have. This is Tom Rayleigh, together with all the members of our gaming club, inviting you to journey with us once again into the darkness for another adventure into the universe of H.P. Lovecraft and the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. Until next time, good luck, good game. Thank you.